Greetings and welcome to our 20th episode of Soldier of Souls. We send out our best regards to the Catholic Churches of St. Elizabeth Van Seton and St. Henry's and to all of you, our fellow sojourners from across the country and the world. We send out our heartfelt appreciation for joining us as we seek to follow, follow the path of truth that guides us through our earthly life and leads us to our eternal home. Hi, I'm Deacon Tim Vaughn along with my co-writer, Linda Hurley, and we're going to bring you this episode. Hey there. Shall we open with an Our Father before we jump in? Yes, of course. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And well, Linda, we're a little bit late with this episode since we both have been a little bit under the weather. Just a tad. And this Alabama weather has not been good to be under, has it? No, it has not. <laughs> <laughs> it's been quite rainy and wet. So uh, uh, we have both had um, a bit of a cold, flu, or whatever it's been. Some sort of mystery virus. Yes. So commonly known as the crud. Right. <laughs> so uh, let's go move on to news for those in the pews. So our Christmas schedule for this year at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and St. Henry's on Christmas Eve, uh, we'll have a Christmas vigil mass at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton at 4 p.m. and at St. Henry's at 6.30 p.m. And then Christmas Day at 9 o'clock a.m. only at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. And then... Then on the Feast of Mary, Mother of God, New Year's Eve, we'll have our regular Saturday-Sunday Mass schedule. Okay. In our last episode, we defined the word Advent. Right. And it's something that's sort of approaching or coming. Right. And we discussed its history as a season in the liturgical calendar of the Church, and that it marks the new year of the Church. Yes. And we also touched on the observance of Advent in the church, which includes liturgical changes that give the season a more penitential tone. For example, no Gloria is sung. And the scriptures and hymns have a theme of preparation, watching, longing, and waiting. Finally, we stress that Advent is a little Lent. Historically, it included fasting, penance, almsgiving, and prayer. When observed fully and deeply, Advent can give us an understanding of the past, equip us to celebrate the Christmas of today, and prepare us for the final Christmas of the future, the second coming of Jesus. You know, it's kind of like the Christmas carol with no ghost. Mm, uh huh. <laughs> I think that, especially in these days, we need a counterbalance to the secularism of Christmas that seems to have reduced it to Black Friday, Cyber Monday, season's greetings, and happy holidays. But it is surprising that, despite a few mentions of the Nativity of our Lord Jesus 
in popular culture, the symbols of the real meaning of Christmas continue to be used to celebrate Christmas. They are all around us. You know, that's right. Lights, trees, trees with lights, wreaths, holly, stars, angels, candles, saints, age-old carols. All of these still surround us. Really couldn't be Christmas without them. And they all point to Jesus, the reason for the season, as we say. Exactly. I like that term. Let's talk a little bit about the meaning of these ornaments that we have. I think we often overlook that in the midst of all that superficial glitter. Good idea. Uh, maybe if we make ourselves intentionally aware of their significance, Advent could touch us beyond the surface brightness that we see with our physical eyes. Okay, let's try to look with spiritual eyes, starting with the beautiful Christmas trees. Traditionally, Christmas trees are evergreens, symbolizing the everlasting nature of God himself. His shape is typically triangular, calling to mind the Trinity. The tree points upward, which reminds us to fix our eyes on heaven, from which all blessings come. Right, and then we decorate our trees with lights that call to mind the starry skies under which the shepherds were watching over their flocks on the night of Jesus's birth. And at the very top of most trees is either a star or an angel. The star recalls the star of Bethlehem. The angel, of course, announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. And so to recap here, the use of evergreens reminds us of the constancy of our creator, his love for us, and the lights, stars, and angels that carry us back to that first starry night when Jesus was born. Looking with spiritual eyes really does give a much deeper experience, doesn't it? Indeed it does. So let us consider another decoration that is everywhere during the seasons of Advent and Christmas, the wreath. Uh-huh, I see those everywhere. Often they're made of evergreen branches or other materials. Sometimes I see ones made of holly. Do you know that the use of holly for Christmas decorations symbolizes the crown of thorns of Jesus' passion? Ah, I'll try to remember that the next time my holly bushes stab me. <laughs> you don't, don't trim them then. <laughs> but beyond whatever is used to make a wreath, his shape is always a circle, which symbolizes the eternal character of God, which has no beginning and no end, just like a circle. Okay, so now that you have mentioned wreaths, that brings us to the wreath that most all of us have in our own homes during this time, the Advent wreath. It is full of symbolism that can deepen our understanding of Advent and prepare us for Christmas. It commemorates newness, eternal life, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. In other words, it incorporates the entire mystery of faith. So, let us begin with a little history of the Advent wreath. You may not know that in pagan times, it was a custom to light candles during the late fall and winter as a sign of hope for future warmth 
and longer days of spring. Lighted candles were placed around a wheel and prayers were offered to the God of light to turn the wheel of the earth back towards the sun to lengthen the days and restore warmth. Actually, I did know that because I looked it up for this episode. <laughs> ah. And later in the Middle Ages, the Germanic peoples began incorporating a lighted wreath into the Christian season of Advent. Right. But you know, it didn't gain widespread popularity until the 1800s. So as the story goes, a Lutheran minister working at a children's mission in Germany created a wreath out of a wheel of a cart. The minister placed 20 small red candles around the wheel's outer ring and four larger white candles inside the ring. He lit the red candles on weekdays and the four white candles on each of the four Sundays of Advent as a way for the children to count down the days until Christmas. But it wasn't until the 1900s that German immigrants brought the tradition of the Advent wreath to America. And when the Catholic Church truly incorporated it into the Advent season, the wreath was also provided with the symbolism that it does have today. Now, the modern Advent wreath has four candles, three which are purple and one is pink. Sometimes a fifth white candle is added in the middle of the wreath. It is called the Christ candle, which is lit following the vigil mass on Christmas Eve or following Christmas morning mass. Catholic tradition states that the four candles representing the weeks of Advent stands for 1,000 years each. Together, the four candles represent the 4,000 years from Adam to the birth of the Messiah. So, let's consider how we can use the Advent wreath and its symbolism to incorporate the themes of Advent into our daily lives. Well, first of all, the wreath needs to be blessed with a prayer and perhaps holy water before any of the candles are lit. Typically, families light the candle or candles before their evening meal on each Sunday in Advent. Prior to lighting a candle, a prayer is said that corresponds to the specific week of Advent. The candle or candles are then lit. Following the lighting, a reflection on the theme of the week is read. We could also mention that traditionally, each candle is lit by a specific family member. The youngest child lights the first candle on the first Sunday of Advent. The oldest child lights the first and the second candle on the second Sunday. The mother lights the first three candles on the third Sunday, and the father lights all four candles on the fourth Sunday. I would also like to add, if you are needing prayers and reflections for this acti activity, just check online. There are many wonderful sites that publish beautiful Advent devotions for family use. Also, many churches like ours have printed prayers in their bulletins. Okay, so now let's turn to a brief explanation of what each of the four Advent candles symbolize and what the theme is for each of the four weeks of Advent. Of course, we have already passed the first three Sundays of Advent, so hopefully 
All of you have already blessed your wreath and have lit your first three candles without our instruction. For those of you who haven't begun to light the candles on your Advent wreath, now is the time to catch up. So let us begin with the first purple candle that is lit. It is called the Prophet's Candle and symbolizes hope. The lighting of this candle draws attention to the anticipation of the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One. His coming is woven like a golden thread all the way through the Old Testament history. Yes. In fact, the author at thirdcup.com writes that God revealed to some of the prophets that he would not leave his people. While the people expected a new earthly king, their expectations fell far short of God's revelation of himself in Christ. And so we light the first candle in expectation or hope, not the hope that wishes something will happen, but a hope that knows it will happen. Because God was right about the first advent, it happened exactly as the prophets declared hundreds of years ago, and so will the second. Our hope is based on knowing God will do what he said he would do. And so we wait expectantly, knowing that Jesus is coming back. That is really a great explanation. Thank you. Now, let us consider the meaning of the second purple candle that we light. It is called the Bethlehem candle that symbolizes faith. It symbolizes the preparations we make in faith to receive and cradle the Christ child, just as Mary and Joseph did over 2,000 years ago. On its surface, the Bethlehem story is about a humble couple on an unwanted journey at an inconvenient time in a tiny, insignificant town. Right. They traveled in faith, knowing God was in charge. Little did they know that God was using Caesar's census edict to move Mary and Joseph 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. But in this way, God fulfilled his words spoken in Micah, chapter 5, 2 to 5. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. Now, have you ever contemplated that when Mary said, may it be done to me according to to your word in Luke 1.38, it meant that from then on, her life would be part of the fulfillment of divine prophecy. God had promised that the Savior would be a Jew from the tribe of Judah and the family of David, born of a virgin in Bethlehem, the city of David. And all this occurred just as the scriptures said at word, with Caesar unknowingly playing an important role in it. And what is even more incredible 
is that Mary and Joseph acted in perfect harmony with God's plan because of their deep faith that God would do exactly what he said he would do in a prophecy made 735 years before. Their example of faith is certainly one that we can learn from and strive to follow. Okay, so I think we should now turn to the third candle candle of Advent, the pink one, known as the shepherd's candle. Now we lit it this past Sunday, which is known as Cadalte Sunday. This day takes its name from the Latin word for rejoice, which is the first words of what was the entrance antiphon or the introit in the days that day's mass. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Okay, so I got a question. I'm glad we're at the midpoint of Advent. And I get that the shepherds are a wonderful illustration of how joy requires action. After all, it would be rather hard to sit still after being given good tidings of great joy, wouldn't it? We don't sit for joy, we jump for joy, which is exactly what the shepherds did at the news they heard from the angels. They jumped up and hurried to Bethlehem to see the baby king for themselves. But, 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 although I like pink and all, I'm trying to figure out how it relates to joy. Well, using the softer color of rose is a way to show that the penitential rite of Advent is nearing close, is nearing close to an end and symbolize the joyful hope of the coming of the feast day. Some to say the use of rose comes from a tradition where an ancient pope would give the citizens of Rome roses on Cadalte and also on Latari Sunday during Lent. The color rose developed as a blend between the penitential color of violet and the white of the upcoming feast day and almost as a preview of the feast during the seasons of Lent and Advent. So, as you light the rose candle this past weekend on the Advent wreath, remember the joy that was intended for this day. Okay, so now finally, we are ready to discuss the last purple candle of our Advent wreath that we will light this coming Sunday. It is the angel candle, and it signifies peace. This candle recalls the story in the second chapter of Luke about how an angel of the Lord, which the Catholic Church presumes is Gabriel, the archangel, appeared with a multitude of the heavenly host to shepherds who were in the fields watching over their flocks by night and proclaimed glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men of goodwill. Okay, I just want to jump in here and share a great point about this quote. Quote, Mary Christ Figueroa, a Catholic author, wrote, The phrase, men of goodwill, comes from the Dury Rames translation of the Bible. In the modern translation we use now, the New American Bible, Revised Edition, this phrase has become glory to God in the highest 
and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. She continues, the secular world has twisted this Bible verse with a misleading message. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill to men. Oh, I see what you did there. That's a good point. Both of the biblical translations state that those of goodwill, as defined as those who have good intentions, plans, actions toward others, so forth, are the ones to whom God brings peace. Yes, exactly. In fact, Mary Figueroa writes, This secular version speaks of God bringing goodwill and peace to all sorts of men. But the actual translation shows only men of goodwill and have the Lord's favor rest upon them. That's a very good distinction to remember. So it's not that God doesn't want to give peace to men who are not of goodwill. In fact, God gave his only begotten son to all mankind as their savior. But God also gave us the free will to choose between good and evil. So only men who choose the good receive the peace that God bestows, while those who turn against God lose their peace. Right. So the peace that is represented by this last candle and declared by the angels as Jesus' birth is a grace that results from the choice to be reconciled with God, with others, and with oneself. Jesus opened up heaven for all of us, but it's up to each of us to choose that peace. Absolutely. And my wish for everyone for the remainder of this Advent season is that when we look at the sparkling lights and the stars and the angels and the wreaths, we'll stop and see the meaning hidden in them. Likewise, when we listen to the old familiar Christmas carols, that we stop and really hear their message. And maybe if we find ourselves walking in the dark of a winter's night, we can remember that the darkness of Advent is meant to sharpen our hope for the light that is coming. Could we also travel in the joyous tastes, smells, hugs, love, and memories of this Christmas season, mm. which we'll learn in our next episode, which will be the week after Christmas. It's technically much longer than most of us even celebrate it. Wait till you hear about the history of Christmas, the Epiphany, and even Candlemas. Ooh. Now let us close with the Hail Mary and Thanksgiving for the Blessed Virgin Mary's great yes that enfleshed our Savior. Good idea. In the name, name of the, the Father, Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and until the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, until we meet again, may the Lord bless you, the Father, 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And remember Jesus' words, wide is the road to destruction. So we remind you to stay on the path and we ask that St. Raphael, the Archangel of Travelers, God speeds you on your sojourn.